Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode number 15. And today we're joined by the Assistant General Manager of the Detroit Red Wings, Ryan Martin. Uh, Ryan, thanks uh, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on the Red and White Authority. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's go back to the beginning because when I, I talked to you last week and we both spent the entire week in, at the uh, USA Hockey Arena in Plymouth, you were part of Team USA staff of the uh, World Junior Summer Showcase. Plus, there were seven Red Wing prospects in this tournament split up among four teams, Team USA, Team Canada, Team Finland, and, and Team Sweden, but we'll get to that later. Uh, I first became aware of you, uh, and this was when it was, I think, a relatively new term in professional sports, or at least in hockey. You were originally hired to be the Red Wings capologist. Yeah, that was uh, July of 05, coming out of the lockout. I, I actually, I think... In the release when I was hired, I think Kenny takes full credit for, for hiring the first capologist in hockey, certainly a term that was popular in, in football primarily. But um, coming out of the lockout in 05, I was in the agent business prior to that and, and had a little bit of a relationship with, with Ken, not so much Jim Nill, uh, but my boss uh, at the time knew Kenny well and we represented a player here named Mark Mowers. And oh, yeah. coming out of the lockout that summer, um, when it looked like the CBA was going to be done, you know, Ken was sort of making the rounds and checking in with agents on current Red Wing players. And when he was talking to my old boss about Mark, he said, you know, do you, do you know any young lawyers? Uh, you know, the new CBA is coming out and we hear it's going to be a little bit more complicated than the last one. And it's going to have a salary cap in it. We're looking to hire a young lawyer to help us out. And... Um, uh, my old boss reminded Ken that I existed and what my skill set was <laughs> and my background, and and so within the course of about a week, you know, he reached out to me and I interviewed and and uh, and was fortunate enough to get the job. So it was July of '05. So being the first capologist in the NHL, did you uh, did, were you set up a prototype system that is used now? Is there is it an exact science or is each capologist different? Well, I, I think, you know, the league obviously takes a, a pretty strong role in, in terms of providing us with, with data. Uh, they've got a, a site that they maintain that's, that's really helpful to the people that do uh, my job that, that are in charge of the cap. But um, at the same time, coming in then, uh, you know, I had to come up with a lot of my own tools on my own. I, had, I was fairly proficient with spreadsheets and and just started to build some things um, to help us track both our own internal cap situation as well as that of other teams because we were all new to this world and we didn't really know, um, you know, we didn't really know where the where the where the industry was going to go. You know, how how involved are you going to be in monitoring other teams' caps? How how difficult will it be to stay you know within a reasonable amount of the cap to allow you flexibility to do things? So. On one hand, we were all sort of going about it blind uh, and, and all learning on the fly, but I thought that was great because, you know, between Jim Nill and Ken and myself initially, um, you know, I think we were all involved in the cap and learning the different dynamics of it. When you're negotiating a contract and you're in on these negotiations as the capologist, there were several times where we thought a player was going to be signed by the Red Wings only to find out or through the grapevine said, well, the NHL Players Association came in and wants to make sure that this, for lack of a better term, this contract jives where, where they want it because when you sign a deal, especially if you're a Red Wings player, it kind of sets the bar for maybe other guys. Is, did you find that as this job progressed 
that you were dealing with the Players Association, or is that more of a red herring that happened to media people like me? Yeah, more of a red herring. I mean, I, I've never, uh, I've never heard that. And having come from the agent business, I can tell you that that did not happen. You know, I was there. Um, you know, going back two regimes ago, so two different leaders prior to Don Fair coming in, and that that didn't happen, at least not uh, openly. You know, there may have been some talk about clusters of players who were going to be free that summer and sort of the expectation of the salary ranges they would be in, but to, other than that, there is really no mandate uh, from the union back then. And, and certainly being on this side of the table, that hasn't happened at all to my knowledge. Uh, you know, every player... Uh, and their representative is free to negotiate anything. And, and certainly we, we have found or we had some success early on with the, the quote-unquote hometown discount, as many NHL teams right. do. I mean, people wanted to be in Detroit, an original six franchise. Obviously, the Illich family very committed to winning. We, we won a lot back then in, in the early part of my time here. And they'd been coming off of a lot of winning before I even got here. So... Um, that to, other than that, I you know there hasn't been any sort of concerted effort on, on that part to control contracts like that. I know that you're the assistant general manager of the Red Wings now. You've worked your way up through the organization, but you're also the general manager of the uh, Grand Rapids Griffins. Congratulations yeah. on winning the Calder yeah, Cup. Thank you, thank you. And I guess for lack of a better term, with uh, knowing Dan Watson, the head coach of the Toledo Walleye, you're a consultant for the Walleye. They are a Red Wing affiliate. But it isn't like the affiliation that you have with Grand Rapids. It's a little bit different. Yeah, it's not, it's not as strong in terms of the number of players that we're involved with down there. Um, but I would say I would describe it more as, you know, I'm, I'm the director of minor league operations for lack of, you know, sort of a self-appointed right. term. And you know, three years ago, what, what happened was we felt uh, Toledo was an A-plus off the ice. I mean, their business operations were outstanding. They're, they're managed and owned by the same group that, that run the Mud Hens. And um, they were moving into a new building. The new building down there was phenomenal, coming out of the old Toledo Sports and Entertainment Center, I believe it was. Um, and we felt that the results off the ice uh, were far outpacing the results on the ice. And although we may have only had a couple of players there at any point during the year. Typically, a fifth goalie might be under an NHL contract, and maybe uh, you know one other end or maybe one or two other NHL contracted players who were not quite ready for the American Hockey League. We found the on ice experience was not at a level that we wanted it to be at, and we went to uh, the ownership and management group down there and basically said, you know. Is there, is there some way that we can do a better job down here? You know, with, with Detroit, Grand Rapids, and Toledo being so geographically close, and it's not very common to have all three teams within a two-hour drive of each other, are we missing the mark in some way? Can we, can we do a better job of developing players? And, and sort of as a, a byproduct of that, can we find a way to develop some minor league players to NHLers? And, and so I went in with, with the, you know, the catchphrase of let's try to run it more like a true minor league baseball with a double A AA to a triple A system. And, and we really didn't know what to expect. But coming into that year, um, you know, we signed three or four players to American League deals with the expectation they will either be in Toledo for the whole year or the majority of the year. And that's where we're going to draw players from for depth for Grand Rapids. We went out and we helped Grand, uh, Toledo hire uh, what I think was an elite coach at the time in Derek Lalonde. And, 
and the Dan Watson, the guy you just mentioned, had the the benefit of, of working under a couple different head coaches there as a longtime assistant. So I think between the coaching staff that they hired as well as the certainly the resources that Toledo puts into it, as well as our involvement on the hockey side and helping them find some minor league players, that, that program has really grown to, to me to be the blueprint of how to run things down there. Uh, and they've had a ton of success the last few years. And then um, as an offshoot, we've been able to grab a couple players from there and, and utilize them in, uh, in the American League, then certainly a guy like Luke Glendening is the, probably the biggest success story out of there. He started uh, on an American League two-way contract, and uh, you know, I, I would joke with Luke at the time, you're only allowed to dress 10 forwards in this league, and I think if they had had a 10th, he may have been number 11. That's how low <laughs> he started down there. In that, and to his credit, you know, he went from being the 10th forward in that roster to helping us win a Calder Cup. Uh, in Grand Rapids back in 2013. So most of the roster in Grand Rapids are Red Wings property for the most part. That's not the case in Toledo, where I think at any given moment is there like three to six pros Red Wing prospects on that roster. I, I yeah probably yeah three to six would be you know maybe it's been higher in the past couple of years maybe more in the five to six range and typically that would be. Um, you know, usually one NHL contracted goalie. Uh, the last two years, they've they've I use given they've given us both goalie spots. They've asked us to find both goalies, so we've signed both goalies. But one of those guys would would be on an American League deal. Um, one NHL contracted forward has been down there, and then the other ones would be comprised of uh, American League contracted one or two way players, and uh, those are guys like I said that we're utilizing for depth. In, in Grand Rapids when we have an injury um, or when there's an opportunity for a guy who's playing really well uh, at that ECHL level to come up and, and hopefully help us win games, that's where we're getting our players from. And I think it's really important that when we recruit those players, they know. You know we, I think we've led the league in players recalled from the ECHL level and it's been 100% within our own organization from Toledo to Grand Rapids except for one player we needed an emergency goalie two years ago and we pulled him up from Fort Wayne um, but for the most part we've stayed true to that and I think it's been a really good development model. Right and the one thing and, uh, 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 that Dan Watson has said is that he can call you at any time and you kind of guided that, that the Toledo Walleye, for the most intents and purposes, kind of play a system that Detroit plays, that Grand Rapids plays, that the Red Wings play. So he's at every development camp, he's at training camp. So the, as you said, there is a mindset that from Toledo to Grand Rapids and obviously to Detroit, there's a Red Wings way and everybody plays that way. It, it, for sure. And we also think we're playing a role in helping to develop coaches down here. You know, I, in a perfect world, we could find uh, a future American League coach in the ECHL level, and that was one of the reasons when we brought in Derek Lalonde, who came over from Green Bay. Um, you know, our our assurance to him was we were going to help him develop as a coach. We're going to put him in every position possible for him to to move up the ladder. His expectation or his goal, I should say, is to someday make it to the NHL as a coach. And he's now coaching in Iowa. So certainly the 
the downside is when you hire great coaches at that level, they're not there very long. Right. And, uh, you know, that's our hope with Dan now that he's matriculated as a longtime assistant there. Now he's been a head coach for two years. He was the coach of the year this past year. Obviously, he's had a ton of success uh, in the playoffs the last two years. You know, and I know he had some interest from American League teams this year. You know, he's going to be moving on at some point to a higher level. Um, so on the player side, yes, there's um, certainly a concerted effort to, to play the same system. So when players do advance from Toledo to Grand Rapids or Grand Rapids to here, um, hopefully it's as seamless as it can be and it helps the, the coach at that higher level win more games because they've got a better player who's more useful and the same can be said on the, on the staff side we're looking to help players uh, sorry we're looking to help coaches advance their way up through the ranks as well when you uh, look at your job do the Red Wings have a capologist now or is that one of the many hats that you wear too you, I mean you've kind of set up the Red Wing way of being a capologist that it almost comes natural to you. Well, I certainly, uh, I'm involved in it uh, quite a bit on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we've also, in the last two years, hired Brian Campbell, who uh, is titles uh, Director of Hockey Administration and Statistical Analysis. So Brian's background, um, an engineering degree, played college hockey at Union College, and, and we brought him in with the primary responsibility of doing a lot of the analytics, for lack of a better term, statistical analysis and analytics, but in his role uh, handles a lot of the administration uh, in the CBA with me as well. So he's involved in the cap, um, he's involved in some of the day-to-day -day administration that goes into it, but uh, certainly I, I still am the primary point person on that and you know Kenny uh, and I negotiate the contracts together so he's he's certainly as well versed as any GM in my opinion in terms of, of the cap rules as well. When I, I you know I, I joke around with you I've I said you're the hardest working man in the NHL I, I, I see you everywhere you seem to be everywhere I, I, I don't know if there's a clone of you or, or what but uh, what is the assistant general manager title, you have so many roles, what is your work day like? You know, it's, uh, it's a question I'm asked a lot by young people trying to get into this business or people in your position trying to report to people about what people, and I would say the, the, the title of assistant GM and the job description of assistant GM at the NHL levels is as varied as you can imagine. There's people who are strictly pro player personnel directors. There's people like Jim Nill was at one time where he ran the amateur draft and then certainly he also ran the American League team, but he ran the draft. That's not my expertise. That's not what I do. Um, so me, and then there's people like myself that have legal backgrounds that are involved in contracts, they're involved in cap management, they're involved in administering the collective bargaining agreement. That would be more what, uh, what my job description primarily entails is certainly the day-to-day the -day hockey operations, the, the, the league rules, the part of administering the collective bargaining agreement, that takes up a lot of my time. Um, being responsible for the minor league operations from Grand Rapids down to Toledo. Uh, so I see a lot of semi-pro minor league games. Um, and then certainly uh, one of the other things that I spend a lot of time doing is going out to watch our unsigned and signed draft choices play. I negotiate the entry-level contract, so I want to get a handle on these players that we're going to sign, who are their peers, um, and being in Michigan, that's really easy to do. Uh, you know, within a three-hour drive, I think I counted one time. There's about 35 different teams that one could watch, and you could really, 
If you wanted to, you could go to a game every night from the ECHL level to the American League to the NHL to, you know, at one point you could see every single college hockey conference. There was a team within a two-hour drive. And I think that's changed a little bit now that Notre Dame is out of the Hockey East, but you've got the Big Ten, you've got the WCHA, you've got the National Collegiate Hockey Conference, you know, certainly the OHL is right here. So there's a ton of hockey within driving distance and, um, I, I try to get out and watch all of our players play throughout the year, and, and certainly that, that, that helps when we have to negotiate those contracts to get a better feel for what those players are. I know people that listen to the Red White Authority think I'm obsessed with the Toledo Walleye, so I, I don't want to ne ne neglect the uh, Grand Rapids Griffins. Obviously, Calder Cup champions. Uh, you're the general manager. Uh, uh, Todd Nelson's already interviewed for one job with, uh, with uh, the Coyotes. He, he didn't get it, but he thought he, he performed very, very well talked about that on a previous episode of the Red and White Authority. Uh, it has to be an accomplishment to win at any level, but the AH, AHL level, I think by all accounts, is considered to be now the second best professional league in the world. Uh, a lot of people play in that league. And, uh, can you elaborate a little bit about you know putting that team together and winning the championship and you said that you know Dan Watson's probably going to be moving. I, I would imagine you expect that Todd Nelson might eventually be moving too. Yeah, well, <clears throat> first I'll touch on Todd Nelson. I think Todd's one of, if not the premier coaches at that level. There's a lot of really, really good coaches at that level. I tell people it's probably the most competitive league in the world to get a job as a coach because... You've got <clears throat> NHL assistant coaches that are looking to become head coaches that think that's a really good route to take to go back down one league and be a head coach. You've got major junior uh, USHL NCAA coaches that want to get into the pro pipeline that are trying to feed into there. And, and now, realistically, people like Dan Watson and, and Derek Lalonde has shown that people from the ECHL are making that move. So there's about six or seven different feeder lines into that league so the quality of coaching at that level is, is unbelievable and I think Todd's one of the best and I'm happy that he had the opportunity to interview for a job um, you know I think it's only a matter of time before he finds the right fit with with an NHL organization that does have an opportunity and as far as putting that team together uh, you know, it goes back to when Jim Nill was here. You know, Jim was a, a great mentor, and, and I know when uh, we had missed the playoffs for three out of four years, going back to um, you know the the mid two thousands, and you know, I know Kenny and and Jim and I discussed having you know more more of a presence in that league at the time. Grand Rapids was trist transitioning; uh, they had their own general manager, Bob McNamara. Uh, and Grand Rapids would have signed a number of player contracts on their own and, and Detroit was really only responsible under an affiliation agreement Detroit was only really responsible for for putting a certain number of players in there somewhere around 12 to 14 depending on the year and we didn't employ the coach and you know, people not everybody knows that we didn't employ the coach he was a Grand Rapids employee and it was a tough it was a tough dynamic because that coach is really beholden to the ownership group of Grand Rapids and maybe not so much focused on developing our young prospects and it wasn't uh, you know it was it was not an ideal development environment and Kenny and Jim and I um, 
you know, back in that time decided to, to make some changes in that area and Grand Rapids was, was very agreeable, the, the ownership group in Grand Rapids and they've been a great partner. But what I, what I learned under Jim and in being involved was, you know, we, we tried to find a, a group of players at that level that that was their NHL. Mm -hmm. Sign a group of players to American League contracts and they can't be called up to the NHL because they're not contracted by the, the, an NHL team. But that was their NHL, and, and they treated it as such. And you knew they were always going to be happy, never disgruntled about missing the recall. They would they would send a you know set a great example for the players. And and I think you know when Jeff Blaschel went in there, he brought in a guy named Jeff Hogan to be his captain. Um, Jim Nill and I weren't overly familiar with him. As, as recent as his pro career, and he did a tremendous job of helping with the culture change. Nathan Page, a guy named Brennan Evans who was on a minor league deal, Tristan Grant. I mean, so those four guys, as well as Jeff Blaschel being down at that level at that time, really helped uh, change the culture and establish what I think is one of the best cultures in the American Hockey League. So moving forward, putting the team together now has been easier. It's easier to attract um, high-end veteran players on American League deals because they do win because Grand Rapids is a great city to play in uh, and live in uh, so that's made it easier and people love playing for Todd Nelson so um, our amateur scouts deserve a ton of credit because obviously without you know the Tyler Bertuzzi's and the Marty Fricks and the Evgeny Svechnikov's and the players that they've drafted uh, and, and signed as free agents like Robbie Russo and Lashoff, those guys are both signed as free agents coming out of junior and college. Um, and then our pro scouts, you know, we, we signed Ben Street and Tangrady, uh, Matt Larito. those guys are all identified by, you know, Mark Howell and Mulpey mm -hmm. and Glenn Murkowski, Bruce Harrelson, Archie Henderson. Those guys do a great job of, of helping identify uh, the, the minor league pros. So winning a championship is not easy, and certainly there's a lot of people that have their fingerprints uh, on that Calder Cup. Uh, I know you've been busy the last couple of years, but uh, with 11 draft picks this past season, uh, seven of them were at the World Junior Summer Showcase, which is a precursor to be invited to their uh, national team uh, camps to uh, be, be part of the World Junior team. I, I want to go through uh, and I know you were part of a, a player personnel for Team USA in this in the World uh, a Junior Sh Summer Showcase. I want to go through the, the seven players that were there, find out what your impressions were, what their next step is. But overall, um, the World Junior S Summer Showcase is relatively new as far as teams coming together. Usually it was just... Americans beating on Americans, Canadians on Canadians, the Finns on the Finns, and the Swedes on the Swedes. But this is something relatively new. I, I don't know if it's going to always be in Plymouth at USA Hockey Arena. But if you're a hockey fan, for summer hockey, it was some really good quality hockey was being played. And you could tell that these kids were, they're all under 20. And that they were the top players on their, in their respective countries under 20 because each game the hockey got considerably better. Yeah, first of all, great. It's a great tournament. Uh, it is best on best, under 20. And for people that don't know, it's really the the talent pool is really the uh, the candidates who will be eligible to play and most likely represent their country at the, the World Junior Tournament, which is held every year from December 26th through the first week of, of January. Mm -hmm. um, the, the U.S. has been hosting this showcase 
uh, actually for a number of years it just used to be in Lake Placid oh, okay. so uh, it's the it's the second or third year that it's been out in Plymouth um, but in prior years Sweden and Finland would always attend the Czechs have attended in the past the Russians Canadians um, a couple of times but it was held in Lake Placid and uh, when USA Hockey bought the the Plymouth Arena they, they moved it over here and, and we've been we speaking as a volunteer for USA Hockey have been fortunate that Sweden and Finland stayed with the program and that Canada has gotten involved in it because uh, and Canada has actually grown their participation they used to show up with what I would say was one team and it's more than one team worth of players but they really concentrated on having one group of players that they picked from and this year for the first time they showed up with like we do in the U.S. two teams which I think is great and right. it, it allowed for an extra day of games um, and to your point I thought the hockey was was outstanding for summer hockey. I think it's really good, and that's a testament and a credit to the caliber of players that were there and today's athletes. These guys are training better than ever before. I mean, they're they're so far further advanced, um, and so I thought it was a really really good tournament, very competitive, uh, with the exception of a couple of players from from uh, from each country that weren't there for whatever reason. Um, it was really a best on best for those four countries. Let's uh, go to uh, to the Red Wing prospects. The Red Wings had the most prospects at the tournament, uh, or the summer showcase, I guess I'll refer to it as, with seven. Uh, first off is Michael Rasmussen, who only played a game, a little maintenance issue, still recovering from the broken wrist he suffered in February, but you did sign him to an entry-level contract during the showcase. Uh, Talk about what you th saw from Michael in the uh, uh, in the one game. He played a Wednesday game. It was kind of a blowout, eight to two. The uh, I don't know if it was white or blue. USA beat. Uh, I think he was Team Canada red. But uh, uh, talk about Michael Rasmussen and why did you want to get him under contract? Well, with, with Michael, I I, first, I thought he played well. I thought his participation in that game and, and what he contributed to that game, um, I thought was really noticeable. And it was an eight to two game. I it, for me, it didn't have the the feel of an eight to two blowout. Uh, the U.S. got up a few goals early. I think their goalie uh, would have liked a few of those back. But I thought the second half of the game was more even balanced and uh, closer by all accounts. And and and. In evaluating Michael in that game, I thought he played well, and, and I know Ken Holland was there, Chris Draper was there. Um, you know, his size obviously stands out. He's a big man. He skates well for his size. He's got a set of hands. Uh, I hadn't seen a lot of him prior to our development camp, and then this opportunity to see him in the game, and, and I thought he played real well. You know, his competitiveness without the puck was good. He seems uh, like a responsible two-way forward, and Certainly, you can't teach size. We're, we're trying to get bigger in this organization. Um, he did play the wing in that particular game. I think he's got enough versatility to play wing or center. Uh, certainly, he'll play center for his junior team uh, back in the Western League. And as far as signing him, um, uh, you, you know, signing a first-round pick of, of this caliber, you know, a lot of his peer group players that were just drafted this past summer had started to sign and. You know, Kenny and, and Chris and I had talked uh, at development camp about reaching out to his representatives and trying to get a deal done. And so hopefully he could put that behind him and come into his first NHL camp uh, under contract and, and in a good spot um, and ready to compete for a job. 
he will go back to tr the Tri-City Americans in the uh, Western Hockey League. Uh, he's only 18, but he's going to be captain. Uh, his next step progression is to two more years in junior and then get a legitimate shot at maybe even becoming a Red Wing, or do you expect him to go to Grand Rapids? Well, I, I think that's you know a long-term picture. It's a little early to tell. Um, you know, Anthony Mantha played one year of junior after we drafted him, and now he's got a late birthday, so he was eligible to play another one, but <clears throat> excuse me, would have been as an overage player. Um, Michael uh, certainly would be in a position to contend for and, and compete for a job in Detroit this year as well as next. And so we're, we're going to take it slow. Uh, we're going to see where he's at along the, his development path. But as you and I discussed previously, with that injury and missing games all the way since February as well as training, I think his development has been um, hindered a little bit. Uh, but certainly when Anthony came out and, and turned pro, you know, at the time Mike Babcock was coaching and, and Mike wanted to give him every opportunity to, to earn a, a spot on the Red Wings and, and he was going to play a top six role in camp and, and have that chance and then he unfortunately broke his leg in, in the prospect tournament and, and so at the time, uh, you know, then we sort of shifted gears towards, uh, for obvious reasons, having him start his career in Grand Rapids and, and work his way up from there. So. It's a little early to tell with, with Michael. Certainly the expectation this year in the short term is that he is back in Tri-City. Um, and then looking ahead to next year, uh, you know, if all goes well, our, our hope would be that he's in a position to, to come into camp and compete for a spot. Um, and then under the league rules, if he's not in a position to make Detroit next year, uh, we have to send him back to his junior team. We're not even allowed to put him in Grand Rapids. Uh, and then certainly year three, um, same thing, you know, he'd be in a position to certainly compete for and make Detroit, and then at that point, our, our alternative is to send him to the American League. Well, he said it, it's all up to him, and uh, you know, Ryan, I don't want to put uh, words in your mouth, but it sounds like uh, he is going to be given every opportunity to wear the red and white sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, and you know, I love, uh, one of the things Jim Nill and, and Kenny taught me early, I, and I love this expression, well, the players will decide. Right. And I think that's a great way to put it. Um, there's no sense trying to predict what a player is going to do and how he's going to look, uh, you know, three months down the road, one year down the road, two years down the road. The best players are going to play, and if there's somebody that can help us win games and he's ready to play at this level, then, then certainly he's going to be on the team and given that opportunity. Uh, another, the number one draft pick in the uh, draft in 2016, uh, Dennis uh, Chavowski. How is uh, uh, Dennis uh, uh, played a, a lot of games? I mean, he didn't play in the final game against the, the USA, only uh, Giovanni Smith, and we'll get to him in a second. But uh, uh, I think the big thing, and we've talked about it, is, is that Dennis listened to what the Red Wings wanted him to do, and he put on some weight. He put on about 10 pounds, a good weight too, uh, and I think that really, that was evident. It was, um, it was noticeable, I mean, just physically looking at him you could tell, but what was noticeable on the ice was his confidence without the puck, his assertiveness without the puck. He was able to close his gaps on players quicker, he was able to hold guys off uh, going down the boards, he was able to be more competitive down in the hard areas and around the front of the net. And I think that's really important for, especially for a young defenseman. He was a true freshman in college last year and many 
many nights he's playing against 21, 22, 23-year-old men, you know, four or five years older than he is. And in, in many cases, there's a, there's a strength difference. And I think he had his challenges last year um, because of that. And, and so to certainly to his credit, he's the one that put in the work in the gym. And he's living here in Detroit this offseason and training uh, with a local person that we believe in and, and is doing a really good job. So for him, I think that was important for him to get out on on the ice in a best-on-best best tournament like that, probably the highest level he's ever played at, and and to have some success. And he did have success. You know, I thought he played well throughout the week. I thought he looked um, a, a little bit hesitant um, in his first game, and then from there, uh, I thought he was much more confident. And it certainly showed up on the defensive side uh, of the puck and in his ability to compete. And um, you know, I, I thought he I thought he had a pretty good week. When you look at Dennis and what his future holds, because he played in the NCAA, he doesn't have that junior rule, meaning that he could make the Red Wings, I guess, you know, that's possible, uh, or he could play for Grand Rapids, or he will go to Prince George in the Western League. So, uh, uh, I mean, and then his natural progression, I guess, would be next season most likely Grand Rapids or maybe Detroit. Um, how do you think it's going to shake out for him? Yeah, and that, that, that's all accurate. Because he was not drafted from a, a Canadian Hockey League team, uh, we do have the option of putting him in Grand Rapids. And, um, you know, we'll make that assessment during training camp as to where he is in the depth chart between Detroit and Grand Rapids. And I think, you know, if he's in the position where he's going to be in the top six, and he's going to be playing every game for Todd Nelson, and his role is going to be big, uh, and we feel that's the best environment for him to develop as a player, then that's certainly an option. Um, if he's not in that position, if he's on the outside looking in, or it's going to be more um, of a fight for him to be in the lineup every night, I think it would be in his best interest looking ahead to have him playing more minutes. Um, and certainly in Prince George in the Western League, he'd have the opportunity to play a lot of minutes. He'd, he'd, he'd obviously have the opportunity to play on the power play, uh, perhaps even the penalty kill. You know, if you could get into a situation where he's playing, you know, 22, 24, 26 minutes a night in every situation, I think that's great for his development. And, and certainly, um, I think he'll have an easier time producing offense at that level, and that would be great for his confidence. So you combine that with a guy that's done the work in the weight room and he's put on the the size and strength, I think that will be a better outlook for him long term. Uh, once again, if, if he's not in that top six role and, and able to lock down one of those full-time spots in Grand Rapids. Giovanni Smith, he played the last game against Team USA. Uh, just impressions of him. First of all, he's a very affable young man, likes to talk. Uh, and Secondly, he's a specimen. This kid is built. I mean, he's, he's all muscle, and he likes to use his body out on the ice. Uh, uh, I would imagine that the way he plays his game, power forward, that not only does Team Canada like him, but obviously the Red Wings do too. Yeah, uh, yeah Giovanni, and he is a physical specimen. I can remember going back to his interview at the Combine. He was you know, busting out of his shirt. And he's one of those guys that he looks at a weight and he gets bigger. So he's been blessed with uh, really good genes. And, you know, he's a guy, he, and he does put in the work in the weight room too. So to his credit, he's another guy actually that now 
um, has lived here for two summers. So to his credit, he moves away from home during the season to play hockey and he decides to stay away from home in the off season because he feels there's uh, resources down here that put him in a better position uh, to prepare physically. So. You know, with Giovanni, you know, looking ahead, we're looking for him to have a really big year in the in the Ontario Hockey League um, for his size and strength and skill set, and and hopefully his team in Guelph is more competitive than it's been in the last couple of years on the ice, and that'll afford him the opportunity to play a bigger role with some better players around him, and I think that'll really help his development. But as far as the the World Junior Showcase. I thought he had a good week. I liked him in his first game. Um, I thought maybe his consistency waned a little bit throughout the week. Um, he was caught a little bit between trying to play uh, a role of a, a big heavy guy along the walls and, and someone that's got more of a physical presence um, between that and maybe more of a skill role. And so I think he's still trying to find that balance. He's a young player. Uh, I believe he had 24 goals his draft year. So he's a guy, obviously, at the junior level that's got uh, really good puck skills and hands, and he can produce offense. And then sometimes when these players get on basically what amounts to an all-star team, it's the best of his peer group. Sometimes they're not sure of the role that they need to play in relation to what they do on the team that they're coming from. And so I think he's still learning that balance, but I, I thought he had a pretty good week. He scored a goal in the final game against the U.S. Um, in what was an emotional, up-tempo game. I thought he had a good physical presence, and, and certainly he's a, he's a sponge. He's a guy that listens to to all the, 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 the feedback and the development ideas that, that Sean Horkoff and the staff here have given him, and, and we're looking forward to seeing him in the prospect tournament. Uh, real quickly, he did spend time with Grand Rapids during their playoff run, but because he, he unlike uh, Chalowski, who can play for Grand Rapids, Giovanni has two options. He either makes the Red Wings out of training camp or he does go back to Guelph. Yeah, correct. So he's a CHL player. So in, in the 17-18 season, um, unless he makes Detroit, our, our, with, the, with a couple of small exceptions, our, really, our only option is to, to send him back to junior. Right, and because I just wanted to clear that up for fans who think, well, wait a second, wasn't he on Grand Rapids last year? You sent him there more for the experience of what an AHL playoff run would be like. And one of those exceptions to players playing in the American League is once their junior team is done with competition for the year, they are eligible to play in the American League. So... Giovanni was able to come in at the end of last year. He was eligible to play uh, right from the beginning of getting there. Uh, I believe he played one or two games right. at the end of the year. In fairness to him, he's a young kid coming out of junior. And at the time, you know, Coach Nelson's got his roster of 12 or 14 forwards that are locked in, and they've been with him all year, and they're a known commodity. So, uh, But that's accurate. For this coming season, unless he makes Detroit, he'll be back in junior. All right. And um, from Team uh, Finland, Casper uh, uh, Uh Casper, again, very affable young man, liked to, liked to talk, enjoyed himself. He's going to Boston University uh, uh, th this year. He played for Sioux Falls in the USHL last year. Casper was a guy who was on the third pair for Team Finland, moved his way up to the second pair as the week progressed. Uh, he is seems that he has the tools to be a pretty good, if he continues to develop, a two-way defenseman. Yeah, all, all of that's a, a real accurate assessment. I liked how he 
developed throughout the week. I liked the role that he played there. I think he could have been a little bit of a victim of, of just a lot of hockey in a short amount of time. He looked like he got a little bit tired by the end of the week, but uh, certainly a real good prospect. Uh, he's a guy that I did see play his draft year in the USHL. Um, you know, the, the team he was on was uh, sort of in the bottom part of the league. They didn't have a ton of skill, and, and, and fans out there scouting by statistics might uh, not see the two-way ability if they were to look at his statistics from last year in the USHL. But I think anybody that was out at the, the World Junior Showcase saw that he certainly is uh, more than capable with the puck and, and has that dimension to his game. I think he finished with a couple of points, but was certainly... Um, a going concern on their second power play unit was able to generate some offense from the back end. Um, confident young man. Uh, it's fantastic that he's going to Boston University. A lot of the staff here knows well and has good relationships with that coaching staff. They've done a great job of developing players for the National Hockey League and they're always going to be competitive. They're always going to have a good team. And it's going to be a deep group of defensemen there. So he's going to have to really challenge and battle for playing time. And, and we think that's great. We think it's good that he's put into a competitive situation where he's going to have to work every day to be in the lineup and to get better. And, and that's going to help him. So I, I thought he had a really good week. I really like, um, as you and I discussed, I really like the, the way that he played defensively. I think that was what stood out to me was his steadiness didn't make many mistakes. He's six foot one, but he plays a little bigger than his size. He's heavy. He's competitive around the front of the net. He keeps it simple with the puck. Um, I, I thought he had a real, real steady and, and dependable uh, camp. The thing we liked about him was he was. It was always easy to spot him on the ice because he was wearing Red Wing gloves, which were of course red compared to the blue and white uniform of, of the Finns. So uh, we thanked him about that, and I guess, I guess I'm guess i probably thanking him now. Uh, Gustav Lindstrom, second-round pick. Uh, he again seems, and, and Ryan and I, we talked about this off, off the, uh, the air, shall we say, here on the podcast, but he seemed to just be happy to be there. I mean, it's like he's almost pinching himself that he, his timeline of progression has been fast, and he didn't seem overwhelmed. I don't want to put it that way, but I thought that you know he held his own for a guy who, at this time last year, was not even playing very well in a lower-level Swedish league. Yeah, very, very accurate way to put it, and, and I would agree. I don't think he felt overwhelmed or felt out of place, but I think it's also new to him, and um, you know, first of all, there's a language barrier as well, and, and he's an interesting guy. The, all the teams were housed at the same hotel, and, and I was in and out of that hotel too as a member of the U.S. staff. And he's a guy whose English is is not great, but he went out of his way when he saw me talking to uh, Philip Larson, who's probably the next guy you're going to bring up. But <laughs> right. when I'm talking with Philip, whose English is very good, Gustav went out of his way to come up and say hi to me and, and talk, which I thought was great for a young man to do that. Um, you know, says a lot him and, and his personality. But but you're right. A year ago, he was challenging for ice time uh, in a lower league and was was not having the the year that he thought he would would or expected to have. And I think really poured it on the second half of the 16-17 season. That's when he he had a lot of success and certainly Hawk and Anderson saw him play quite a bit uh, over in Sweden. 
we really like his hockey sense. He's got a great feel for the game. Uh, you know, in, in, in talking with Gustav at the camp, it's the very first time he's ever played on small ice, which is a little unusual. I mean, many of these players, although they're coming from Europe, they do have opportunities throughout their uh, throughout their amateur careers representing their country to play on small ice, but it was the first time he, and so for him to come out in a camp at that level and at that caliber and the pace of play and the timing is completely different, the amount of space you have on the ice and the ability um, to make plays under pressure, I, I thought he did well. Um, and it's obvious he's got hockey sense and poise when you see him play in that type of, of a setting for the very first time. You know, he wants to work on his foot speed uh, and his skating will continue to develop, but he's physically, he's, he's uh, I'd say physically, he's more on the mature side. Uh, you know, he's built pretty well, um, did not mind playing aggressively at all. You know, played a little bit more of a North American style than many Swedish defensemen are used to. So all in all, I thought he had a real positive camp. You know, he's a guy that'll be back in Sweden this year. I think uh, he'll start the year in, in that second division and, and kind of see what happens from there. But it'll be an opportunity for him to play uh, more minutes in bigger situations than he would otherwise be able to play perhaps in the elite league. And um, in talking to the Swedish coaching staff, I mean, they're all in agreement that it's, it's only a matter of time before uh, an elite league team gives him a legitimate opportunity to play a big role because he's got, he's got really good upside. Right, and uh, you could tell, and I know he was obsessed with the smaller rink. I talked to him every single day last week, but each game he seemed to get more comfortable, and, and you could, t and it, it, it translated in his play. Yeah, very much so. And once again, I don't think it can be understated that this is basically five games plus a practice in seven days. That's a lot of high, and it's five really competitive games. Right. So these guys do not have, and especially the Europeans. Uh, I think Sweden arrived here a couple of days in advance of the camp, but for the most part, they're rolling in and they're in a different time zone and it's small ice and it's the best on best. And it's, you know, the U.S. has the luxury of having two teams and Canada had two. And, you know, even though we're playing split squad scrimmages, we, we've got more of an infantry than they do. So uh, a real credit to, to all those European players that were there and played at this high level. It's, it's, it's not an easy tournament. And one of the things they also had to adjust to, believe it or not, was being interviewed because we interviewed them every single day. The because it was in Detroit, the Detroit media that was assembled there, all they wanted to talk to, regardless of the outcome of these games, were the Red Wing prospects. And they mentioned it got to a point where yeah, I was telling him, I'm going to ask you what your favorite color is next because you were kind of running out of stuff to ask him. But, uh, but they were all gracious enough, but they did point that out, that this was a really unique experience for them. A lot of hockey, as you said, Ryan, in a short period of time. And then they had to talk about it after every single game, and they just weren't used to being you know, interviewed that much. So let's go to uh, Philip Larson, Red Wing goaltender. Uh, drafted in, uh, I believe, 2016 in the sixth round, uh, like 167th or something overall. He, I would imagine, if you had to take a surprise of the camp, I would at least put him in the running uh, for that, the player that most surprised because by his own admission, he didn't even think the Swedish coach knew, knew who he was. He was the third goalie, he said. Yet in the rivalry game, the finale of the showcase, he starts against Finland. Yeah, which is, uh, I think, a, a great. That's the that's the that's the cherry on the Sunday for him for that week because uh, I talked to him, 
after their second game and he had still not yet suited up and wasn't sure if he was even going to get that third game. And he went in and played very, very well in what was Sweden's third game. And I'm sure that is what opened the door for, for him to have a bigger opportunity and, and to get that key uh, game against Finland uh, at the end of the week. So for Philip, um, you know, it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a fast track of development for him over the last 12 months or so. And he's gone from uh, a player with not a lot of opportunity in Sweden at the level that he feels he should play at in order to develop appropriately and, and, and our development people would, would agree with that to a guy who now has sort of gone a, a less than traditional route for a typical European goalie and where he's coming over to the United States Hockey League. Um, and I, I don't want to speak for Phil, but I, I believe he's also gone from player who is coming to the United States Hockey League and now he's entertaining college offers. I don't know that that was his immediate objective when he decided to come to the USHL. It's just that the Canadian Hockey League does not allow European goaltenders. Uh, it's a it's a rule that they have. So really, if you're gonna if you're a junior age player and you're leaving Europe to play, there's very few places to play. The North American Hockey League and the USHL, both based primarily in the United States, are really your only two options. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be on the college track. And there's many guys that come over that aren't on a college track, but when he decided to do it, I think the interest level has been enough. Now it's to the point of he's got several opportunities and several schools talking to him. So his last 12 months have been uh, extremely rapid progression, uh, really good development. You know, We've got a, a Swedish goalie consultant uh, that deserves a lot of credit for, for being in his backyard and working with him. And certainly Brian Mahoney-Wilson, our, our North American goalie development person, has been um, has got a lot of hands on Philip and has worked with him not only at the development camp but um, over the phone and done work with a video work with him um, uh, online throughout the season. So Philip's really uh, progressed very well, and, and I think he had a really good tournament. I, I think both games that he played, if someone were to look at the box score, it might not be an accurate indication of, of how he played. You know, I think he, he had to make some really difficult saves. And, and once again, similar to Lidstrom coming over to play on the smaller ice, which Philip had some experience in that area, but not a lot. And, and playing, in, playing in net, the timing uh, and your positioning and where you're setting up in your angles, it's all completely different on the smaller ice. So all in all, I thought he had a, a real positive week and certainly uh, a good, a good upside. And when you see where he's playing and you see Tri-Cities, he is not on Michael Rasmussen's team. It's an entirely different league. He is playing, I believe, in Nebraska for the Tri-City Storm, whereas Michael Rasmussen is playing for the Tri-City Americans. So I want to clear that up because if you just see Tri-City, you think, well, he and Rasmussen are teammates. That's not the case. Uh, plus, he is supremely confident in his ability, but I asked him if, if a college, and you know, I always... Uh, tend to lean towards the University of Michigan. So I said, if Michigan were to come to you and offer you a scholarship right now, would you take it? He said, no way. I'm playing the USHL for a year, and then I'll look at my college options. So he's got it mapped out. I mean, he's got it figured out in his own mind. Yeah, and I don't want to try to get into the the, the college recruiting business, but I think uh, that it's very interesting that you hit on that because a number of colleges have come to us as an organization and asked what his interest level might be and, and here they sort of lay out their depth chart and their opportunity and I think what what Philip is going to 
come to learn quickly in the fall as these schools come out and watch him play is the college recruiting process and the urgency with which they operate is often dictated by the schools themselves. So he may not have quite the timeline and uh, that timeline might not come to fruition. He's, but, but to his credit, he, he's, uh, he's a cerebral guy. He's obviously taking his time and, and weighing all the information and, and he's going to make a really good decision at the end of the day. Uh, the only member of Team USA that was a Red Wing prospect is a good is, is a good prospect. That is, of course, the uh, string bean, as I like to call him, Keith Petrozelli. He's six, almost six six, and I think he weighs about 120 pounds. I mean, he is just a tall, lanky kid, but uh, had a little rough go at the beginning uh, against Team Sweden. Let in a couple of goals late, where Sweden defeated uh, Team USA, uh, but. He rebounded nicely, and he looks like a legitimate prospect. Yeah, and obviously being with the U.S. staff, I had the chance to, to be around Keith um, in a more uh, in, in a more intimate, closer way than than the other prospects. And uh, I thought he had a good week. You know, he's a guy that uh, is raw. Um, you know, despite his lanky frame, he, he's really athletic. Uh, you know, needs to work on his overall strength. Um, and, and his ability and his power, his power game, I think, will improve accordingly. And, and he knows that. He's got to get in the gym, and, and he's a young guy who's developing. But uh, for a guy that, um, you know, is more of a, on the raw end skill set-wise and hasn't had a ton of coaching in, in his junior career, amateur career prior to this past season, uh, is a guy that I think is, is beginning to find the balance between combining his his athleticism and his technical skill set and combining those two things together so like you said I, I thought um, you know I thought he had some challenges the the first game that he went in but I thought he also got better throughout that game and then the second game he played I thought he was was really sharp uh, it moves well obviously a big frame uh, you know he'll be in a position at Quinnipiac uh, college this fall to to, to play a lot of games and you know it's going to be a competition certainly um, from what I hear it's going to be an open competition for playing time but he certainly has the skills and he's put himself in a real good position to to, to hopefully play an impact there early. When you look at, uh, at Keith uh, he seems to as you said he seems to have the skills and the ability but I, I and I don't want to overemphasize this because he wasn't horrid in the first game. As a matter of fact, he played the second half of a game, so he sat around for a whole you know couple of periods, and then they throw him in there, and and you know and and, and he played well. But the way he rebounded has to at least be a feather in his cap from from your perspective. Yeah, no, and that's a very good point. I I thought he did rebound well, and like you said, I don't know that uh, his. Performance in the first game certainly wasn't horrible. It probably uh, just didn't end. You know, it didn't end as well as the team would have liked. There was a lot of defensive breakdowns in front of him as well. And I think you know, especially being on the U.S. staff, I can attest to uh, the fact that the coaches weren't very happy in terms of the overall team performance the latter part of that game and not being able to close it out. But that certainly. Uh, you know, the goalie all the way out needs to take responsibility for that. So his ability to improve throughout the week uh, was really good and, and certainly uh, was able to come in in a tough situation that the second game he played and, uh, and shut the door for the win, too. So, so good for him. 
we could go on. There's other prospects and other draft picks, but uh, you know we're we're almost at an hour here in the uh, Red and White Authority, which is means I guess it must be the title of general manager because Ken Holland was about an hour, and Ryan, you're going to be about an hour as well. Uh, but uh, I know Red Wing fans were a little over a month away for training camp to start. Uh, your assessment of the Wings at this point, and what would you like to see happen uh, between now and the opening of the season in October. Stay healthy, um, you know, and 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 I think uh, you know as fans out there would would obviously point to our goaltending needs to be better. So I think you know there's there's a lot riding on Jimmy and Peter and their performance and and our expectations as well as their own expectations. And um, but certainly you know and and the other thing I would point to also is we'd like to see those young players take another step whether it's an Anthony Mantha or Andreas Athanasiu um, and even that next wave of, of Tatar and Nyquist you know obviously Thomas Tatar had a great finish to his year probably not the the start to the season that he expected or we expected um, so that second tier second tier meaning in terms of the age or experience that they've got those guys need to take another step as well so those would be the three things that that I'm hopeful and optimistic for going into camp would be to stay healthy and, and our goaltending uh, to improve and, and those young players to take another step. I, I know that a lot of the personnel decisions are what Jeff Blaschel because obviously he's the coach uh, but Athanasiu uh, it's just a matter of time before you hammer out a deal with him. Yeah, I, I, he, he is unsigned now, but he's a restricted free agent. He did not have arbitration rights. Uh, you know, if he did have arbitration rights, the contract would probably be done now because of the timing of the arbitration process just forces both sides to get a deal done by a date certain. Uh, but I wouldn't read too much into that. We're, we're constantly communicating with his representatives and, and sort of working through the process here. When you uh, look at Dylan Larkin, uh, he is penciled into play center. I've talked to him at, uh, during his camps, at his youth camps that he had. Uh, you know, obviously he, he's always been a center. It's been a tough transition from, let's say, the University of Michigan one year where the, that he did play in the, in the Big Ten to, to, be, to being a center. But all intents and purposes, and I guess the hope of Dylan and the organization is, is that he stays at center all year. Yeah, that would be the hope and the expectation, and I think uh, I think Jeff Blaschel and his staff did a did a really good job last year of transitioning him off the wing um, in more games, and you know, and I'm not going to speak for Blaschel, but in in his mind, you know, teaching him more of the finer points of the game to make him a better pro, and, and certainly some of these young players sometimes can get in a situation where they may be able to put up more points if they cheat the game a little bit, but that's not going to be their, that's not going to be best for their development in, in the end. And I think Blash and, and his staff did a good job of making sure Dylan was doing things the right way. And so perhaps the points didn't accumulate quite at the rate that uh, he would have liked, but I think he did a lot of other good things without the puck and, you know, Anybody that watched the the U.S. Uh, World Championship team would, would have seen that. You know, I think right. Dylan was one of their better players, uh, and his consistency is coming along, which is great. And finally, I know you touched upon the goaltending, and I know you said health was the first thing when I asked you to assess what what, what you hope happens to the Red Wings, and uh, everyone hopes Jimmy Howard stays uh, uh, stays healthy all year because he had statistically a career year last year. 
Uh, but it's the biggest question mark and the guy that really needs to, for, and this is my term, not the Red Wings term, lack of a, a better term, put it together is Peter Morazak. Yeah, certainly. And Peter would be the first one to tell you, uh, you know, he's, he's put a lot of pressure on himself to, to answer the call. You know, he's a guy that two years ago uh, got to game seven uh, in the playoffs and, um, you know, was a real big part of our playoff run that year and showed that he could do it. Um, you know, he's strung together six weeks of, uh, you know, almost unmatchable statistics at the NHL level. Now, the good news is, is it was six weeks. It wasn't a week and a half. He right. did it over the course of six weeks. You know, the, the, the news that's not quite as positive is they were probably unsustainable, but we feel, and Peter feels, there, there's a common ground between those elite, high-level, unsustainable statistics and, and where he was for the better part of last year. And he knows that. So he's better than what he showed last year and what the numbers would uh, would play out over the course of last year. And, and our expectation going in and our hope is that we're back to having a, a one and a 1A and two guys that can push each other to both be starters. And uh, I know you, Trevor Daly, we touch upon the defense here uh, quickly. Still kind of a work in progress, I would assume. Uh, uh, Nick Cromwell, everyone's hoping, that, you know, the guy, and we don't use this term very much, but he is certainly a warrior with the knee that he's playing on. Uh, but if you look at it, Trevor Daly adds a, a pretty good dimension uh, to a team that, that uh, he can move the puck, uh, you know, along with Mike Green. So it, at least it, it seems the defense is, is starting to round out a little bit. Yeah, and that was a, that was a focus in the offseason. You know, that was the, the mandate from Kenny to our pro scouts uh, throughout last year. Uh, and certainly Jeff Blaschel would, would, would have the same objective of, of improving our defense, um, getting a puck mover, a guy that could get the puck up to the forwards. And, and really, I think, signing Trevor... Um, appropriately slots some of the other defensemen a little further down the depth chart, and, and I think that's a real pause. You know, we see Trevor as a top four guy, and I think when you bring in somebody like that, he can take some minutes away from some of the other players and, and hopefully allow them to be in a little bit better position to, to flourish and have success. So we think we upgraded our D by bringing in Trevor, and and um, we certainly think we've got uh, you know some nice other complementary pieces on the back end, and and uh, you know hopefully Nick Cronwell's knees uh, are healthy, and, and hopefully he's ready to go, and, and our top four uh, should be fine if that's the case. And that top four would be, of course, Cronwell, Mike Green, Trevor Daly, and Danny DeKaiser. Yeah, that's. I don't want to speak for Blaschel, and certainly he decides the playing time, but that's how we would see it. All right, uh, Ryan, I could continue talking to you. I think we spent about three and a half hours already here together. Uh, this is the longest Red and White Authority, which, uh, uh, which is good. And uh, I do appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully, you'll get to take a vacation or two, because uh, one thing that I have learned that the, hockey is being played someplace in the world at this very minute. <laughs> it never ends. No, it never does. But, uh, but unfortunately, this podcast is ending right now. Ryan, thank you very, very much for your time. Thanks, Art.